Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Um, hello, hello. Oh, hi, uh, Jeff. Sorry, didn't see you. We there. have a podcast. You, did you remember that? Are yeah, you, I did. Are you practicing your counting? I mean, yeah. that's that, that's so important to know your numbers. But um, no, what are you doing? I'm actually looking at my Fujifilm XT3, same camera that you have, and I'm counting the numbers of buttons and dials on it. So I got up to thirteen, and that's just the back. So if I okay, go to the I'll top, come back in a while when you get to the rest. Because <laughs> there are a lot. Because if I go to the top, you've got three dials, but two of the dials have two segments, right? A top segment and a bottom segment. So that, that's 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and a button 19. And in the front, there's button 20, 21. There's a total of 21 buttons and dials. No, 22. There's another dial on the front. 22 buttons and dials on the Fujifilm X-T3. I think for some people, that sounds wonderful. I mean, quite honestly, <laughs> one of the nice things about the Fuji is it's got all those dials. It's got all those buttons. And there are some people who really like that that tactile nature. But I remember when I was shooting um, like a Nikon DSLR and there were a lot of buttons, but there were no knobs. If you wanted to change anything, you had to go into menus. And I think maybe some people are used to that or maybe they prefer that. But aren't there too many because how often do we need to change these things? Um, I just got a new camera, by the way. This is my little Fujifilm XE4. And if I look on the back, it has six buttons. It has two dials on top with two buttons and one dial in the front. So that's six, eight, 10, 11, compared to 23 on the X-T3. Well, then it's not a real camera, is it? It's Well, it's technically a minimalist, simple <laughs> camera. Um, we should put a link in the show notes to um, Chris and Jordan's review of the XC4, which just came out before we were recording this uh, for DP Review. Um, Chris is a little bit disappointed by the lack of some of the, the the buttons and dials that he's used to, but he does point out that you know it's a minimalist design and it's you know maybe not for everyone. Now, personally, as we've said many times, I go back to the film days and I remember my Olympus OM10. It had let's see. It had a shutter speed dial. It had an ASA dial. That's the precursor of ISO. Yep. It had a shutter button. And that's about it. No, it had a self-timer because you could take selfies back then. Don't forget, it also had all the, the paraphernalia needed for film, right? The film advance lever, the knob to rewind it, the button on the bottom to open the film. Mm -hmm. What do you call it? The magazine cover on the back. So it had those things too, but those you only used when you were changing film. But when you were shooting, you had the shutter speed, um, you had the focus and the aperture on the on the, the lens, and that was it. Yeah, we, we have to include that too, because that's, that's an important part. Um, well, yes and no, because you have to assume that just about every lens has a focus ring and an aperture ring. So it, it's sort of a constant, right? Uh, no, actually, it's not. I mean, I said I just about, I didn't say every... Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I So when I switched to using Fuji cameras, it took a little bit for me to get used to the fact that, oh, if I wanted to change aperture, I had to bring my hand around and move the physical, uh, the physical ring on the lens. Really? Because Why? How would you do it on other cameras? 
on my on my Nikon, you had to um, use either like a, a, a thumb switch or go into a menu. There was a a menu. Yeah. What sort of a camera is this? The kind that you'd have to put like a hood over yourself to take a picture? <laughs> no, no, no. This was a this was a I want to say is a Nikon D ninety, and uh, it's so funny that that I can't remember how to use it now. I've blocked it out, but like the the D ninety had a little window on the top of the camera that gave access to controls. And I believe I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this and say, wow, your memory is so completely wrong about this. <laughs> but um, depending on what mode you're in, the thumb wheel would adjust shutter speed or aperture or so. Yeah. The, the, the concept of just switching aperture by using a, a slider on the lens was, was brand new to me. Huh. Now, I, I missed that whole DSLR thing. I didn't get, uh, you know, a real camera until about 10 years ago. I still run into this occasionally because I still have the Fuji 27 millimeter, the, the first version. And that doesn't have an aperture ring because it's a little flat pancake lens. Right. So the new version they just released with the XE4 does have an aperture ring. Yeah, which would be really nice now that I'm accustomed to it. Yeah, it makes more sense to me. It's also got a lock. So if you want to set the aperture to automatic, you turn it all the way and it locks with an A setting. And that way it doesn't need another dial on top of the camera to lock the aperture. You don't have that PASM dial or is it PSAM, whatever it is, um, that most cameras have. Mm -hmm. Do we even have them on Fujifilm? We don't even have that. What's the equivalent on Fujifilm cameras? See, I've been looking um, at this for an article, and I've been looking at all the different cameras, and it seems that the PASM is most cameras in the world, but not Fujifilm. Yeah. So what Fuji assumes is because you have manual ways to do this, so you have the aperture ring, for example, there's an auto setting there, which you probably don't even notice because it's way on the other side so that you don't accidentally turn it on into, into auto. And so when that is set on auto then you're in aperture priority mode. No. That means you're in shutter priority mode. See, that's what's confusing. What you set to auto on the Fujifilm is what the the camera manages automatically. So yes. if the aperture is set to A, that means it's managing the aperture. So yeah. the full program mode, the equivalent of program mode where everything's automatic would be setting the aperture ring to A, the shutter speed to A, and the ISO to A. Yes. And there the camera does everything. Now, I shoot an aperture priority, so I have the shutter speed and the ISO set to A, but Mm -hmm. I adjust the aperture. But I also have three different ISO settings that I adjust in a menu with different maximum ISOs and minimum shutter speeds. So here's a question about that. How often when you're shooting do you jump between those? Because one of the advantages of having all these knobs and dials is that as you're shooting, you know, I can very quickly change my shutter speed, for example, by moving the knob or there's a thumb dial that lets me do smaller increments sort of as needed. So how much do you jump between your ISO modes? How much do we actually use some of these buttons while we're shooting? Right. I I use almost none of them. The only one I'm likely to use is the exposure compensation, which uh, if you recall, we did an uh, episode about the exposure square because I think the exposure triangle isn't sufficient. I think you have to factor in the exposure compensation, which yes. is basically by eye you're adjusting. Um, let's say you've got a a shot where you've got the bright sun on one side, it's dark on the left, and the camera's balancing it out. You want to, as some people say, expose to the right, 
which is the idea of exposing to the right side of the histogram, keeping mm-hmm. the highlights um, at the right level so you can work with it after. So the exposure compensation for me is important. I Sometimes I'll change film simulations when I'm out walking and I want to do something. I thought, oh, what, this would look nice in Acros, but this would also look nice nice and classic chrome but then i can also just take the raw files home and make those changes on the computer so i'm less bothered about doing it in the camera right um i i might change the iso if it's getting dark but i still want a certain minimum shutter speed in other words, because mm-hmm. I have my settings different. I have one that goes to, I think, 1600 max ISO, the next to 6400, the, se- the next to 12,800 with different minimum shutter speeds. Okay, so that's interesting because while we're talking about knobs and dials, and by the way, uh, everybody, welcome to our new gear podcast. <laughs> we, we promised that that we wouldn't really talk about gear, and we're not talking about gear in the same way this is this no, is about we're not, ergonomics we're not really and reviewing gear i'm not going to review this camera but actually it was getting this camera and i'll explain why i got it later um the minimalist nature of this camera made me rethink a lot of this yeah uh, in particularly seeing the number of complaints in forums and in facebook groups from people who were saying oh it doesn't have this button or this dial i'm not going to buy it mm, and i yeah. have two thoughts about that my first is well then don't <laughs> And the second is, do you really need... I'm sorry, need... forms don't work that way. <laughs> and the second is, do you really need that button or dial when you've got so many that you can customize every single one of them? Yeah. Well, that goes back to my my question just a second ago, which is, it's interesting that with all these these buttons and dials, you're still relying on a lot of internal menu-based stuff. So for example, setting a minimum shutter speed when you are letting the the camera choose the shutter speed for you, but there's a way to say, set the shutter speed to whatever you need, but don't go below one one twenty fifths because I don't want to have to deal with camera motion blur and all of that. And so it's sort of funny that we have these cameras that have knobs that can do a lot of manual settings and we can move things on the fly, but we're still relying a lot on software and uh, menus and letting the the camera think for us, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. I like to call these computers with lenses. And why buy such an expensive computer and not use the computing facilities? Uh, the idea of buying a camera like this and shooting in manual, while I can understand why people might want to shoot in manual, it's You've got all this stuff in it. Okay, yes, you want the latest sensor. You want certain other features, the autofocus modes. That's kind of important. But Mm -hmm. it is a computer. Let the computer do what it can. Offload things from our brains so we can spend more time composing and getting the right shot. Yes, yes. Although I find myself – I actually shoot in manual quite a bit, but it's very situational. So if I'm shooting a a sunrise or a sunset – I like having that manual control because uh, especially in situations like that, maybe the the camera is going to see a bright color and compensate more than I would like, or it's going to try to to balance everything out. And maybe I, I really want that silhouette in the foreground or what have you. And so there are times when, when I definitely want to be shooting a manual, but there are also times like uh, an episode that we ran last year, I'm sorry, the year before, um, when I shot an event and I absolutely wanted to be in aperture priority mode and not have to worry about shutter speed because, you know, 
like I was, I was working, I was moving. I needed to just, you know, hit, 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 hit shots. When you're shooting sunrises and sunsets, are you doing this on a tripod? Uh, yeah, pretty much. So you have time. Yes. And, and that's yes. the difference. You Good can point. take the time to compose, to check all the settings. And manual mode is interesting if that's what you're doing and you have that time. Um, I asked on a Facebook group about people who were professional photographers and how often they used the buttons and dials and knobs. And um, a dozen or so people answered, and most of them are like, I set them before I start a shoot and then I never touch them. Because as you said, when you were doing that event, you have to take pictures. You don't have time to think, oh, should I change the white balance? Should I change mm -hmm. the film simulation now? You want to get that all set so you can get what you're, you're there getting paid for. You right. know, imagine a wedding. Um, you've got an all day event and you're taking pictures and you've got to catch the pictures because if you miss the right picture, your clients will be so unhappy. Yeah. I, you know, at some point, I think we should we should do a wedding episode talking to somebody who actually does it, not not us, of course, yes. um, because I'm I'm really curious as to how things have changed, because now the idea is you go to a wedding and if you're shooting a wedding, you're you're getting not just the ceremony, but you're getting all the lead up and you're trying to look for moments of someone is unguarded or they look emotional and all of these sort of memory moments, I guess you could call them. Whereas I think maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I remember when my wife and I were looking for a photographer for our wedding, we went to some places and you stood here and you took this picture and <laughs> you you stood here and you took that picture and like everything was formal everything was staged and there wasn't that that sort of almost journalistic quality i, I would almost say it's influenced by reality tv it's also just a lot more interesting because yeah, agreed i love that i have shots of us standing together with our families like you have to the have that yeah but a really good wedding photographer will get all the little moments of... Like when the bride and groom are out behind the woodshed. Why would they be chopping wood <laughs> on their wedding day? I'm so confused. Oh, this must be an English thing, maybe. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. But but that's but that's a point. So um, in sports, imagine that uh, you, you're setting up for sports photography. Oh, geez. T take something like um, pro cycling, right? So yeah. you know you're going to be in specific locations. You're waiting for the cyclist to come. You have to have everything set. You've only got a handful of seconds as they go by. If they're going downhill, forget about it. Yeah. Um, so you've got to get your depth of field perfect, your shutter speed perfect, and then you move on to the next spot. So you you never really have time to do this. It's, it's the in-between where you might use the buttons and dials, but you can also do that in the menus. And I don't think every camera has the equivalent of Fujifilm's Q menu, the quick menu, but I think most have something like that. So something you can tap like a that, button, yeah. you can access a bunch of little squares or rectangles that you've put in, and you can change the settings really quickly for the most important things. Yeah. They're always there. And if you're a professional, you know what you're going to need to change. And again, other than your exposure square, potentially your light balance, because maybe it's sunny, maybe it's cloudy, but you can fix that in post. Um, yeah. You're probably going to have the same focus mode and metering mode, and there's not a lot to change. I'm also sort of curious to know how much of these things just get utterly ignored. 
Well, when I look at my use of the camera, most get utterly ignored. <laughs> um, on my X-T3, I use, I use the menu button. I use the Q button. I the, we've, didn't mention the joystick, so that's choose a focus point. And oh, that's yeah. really practical. Yeah, um, that's useful. I don't like using touchscreens, so I've turned the touchscreens off on mine. But that is another way of accessing some of these things. Um, I will use the playback button to look at photos, but I'm not a chimper. You know, chimping is when someone takes a photo and immediately presses that button to look at it, see how it looks on the camera. Yeah. Um, I never do that. But sometimes when I'm sitting down looking at my photos, I'll go through photos like that. I actually don't understand the point of what's called back button focusing. Um, I'll have to look that one up because I know that seems to be a thing. I focus by pressing the shutter button, you know, half pressing the shutter button. That makes more sense. Um, But... I, I rarely, I really rarely use these things. In fact, uh, I didn't even know about this little button here on the right below the shutter. On the which, front? On the front, which is a yeah. little, I don't know what it does by default, but it's an interesting little button. It's basically just a programmable button that can be anything. I don't even remember what mine was uh, by default. I set it so that that lets me switch between face and eye focus. So what happens when you press it accidentally? Because it's it's kind of in a position where if you're just holding the camera in a certain way, you can press it. There's not a lot of give in it, so you don't really feel it moving that much. I never press any buttons accidentally. I yes. deliver it all the time. <laughs> and, and so that's another thing. It's so easy to press these accidentally. The, the worst one I have is the exposure compensation dial. Um, I wish they were a little bit stiffer. Um, the X-T3 is stiffer than the X-C4, and what's good about it is you can put your thumb on it and you can rotate it really quickly. You see in the viewfinder or on the screen what changes, but what's bad about it is sometimes you'll just bump into it and it'll change when you don't want it to. I actually really like the fact that – I feel like I have to make this disclaimer. Yes, we're talking about Fuji stuff because that's just what what we own, uh, but like – on on this XT3, there's a specific lock for the ISO button and a lock for the shutter button. You have to press it down and release it. I know on other cameras, you have to actually hold the button down and turn the knob like for a mode switch or something, which is nice. I, I, I really appreciate not being able to, to move those sometimes. And it does surprise me that there isn't one on exposure compensation because that's that's one that I would be be more liable to hit at any specific time. But that's one that you're more likely to need on the fly. Yes, although I actually rarely find myself doing that. I'm more likely to adjust the shutter speed using the little uh, finger dial underneath the, the shutter button than yeah, to do exposure Yeah, but if you've got anything set to automatic, then the ex- the, adjusting the shutter speed means it's going to balance out with the aperture, whereas the exposure yeah. compensation overrides all of that automatic stuff. It's almost like there are various ways to do this. I don't yes, know. Yes, <laughs> and that's what's interesting. But so my my what, what I was curious about here is how has it gotten to the point where there are so many controls? And and I took a, a, a bit of a look on the internet at cameras by Leica and Hasselblad, and they have very few buttons. It seems like the higher end cameras don't have as many things to play with. Um, maybe it's you have a, to pay more for less buttons. That's what it well, is. Well, maybe it's a different demographic that's not interested in shooting the same way. Oh, you I'm know, sure. I, I've said many times I'm more interested in shooting the way I used to on film without fussing around and without even doing a lot of editing. And I want the camera to just take the pictures. I don't want to have to, 
you know, mess with all these things. And yes, it's good to have different focus modes, um, face detection, eye detection. When they get it working for cats, I'll be very happy. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, you look at the menus, there are screen after screen of menus. How do you understand what any of these things hint? Read the manual. Well, and actually on some of these other cameras that don't have as many buttons, you have more menus, you have more more things you have to sort through. I know um, I haven't shot very much with Sony cameras, but I think universally I hear from Sony owners that you know the, the, the cameras are great, the sensors are great, the menus are maddening, even though it's not a, a button per se, you're still dealing with interface issues, you're still dealing with how you interact with the camera. And I mean, for my money, I would much rather move a button or program a button than stop thinking about photography because, oh, I need to now go dig through the menu system. And was this the fourth screen of the shooting menu or was it the autofocus menu? All of that. Well, I have a handful of things. Fuji has a menu that they call My Menu, and that's where you can add specific features that you use. And when you press the menu button, it goes immediately to that. So I have in mine, I have the face detection setting on off. I have the drive setting. I have the shutter type, um, my auto ISO setting. I have wireless communication because, you know, you have to switch if you want to use it with the app or if you want to connect it to a computer. Mm -hmm. I have the self timer there because I often use that when I'm shooting macro on a tripod. Mm -hmm. I'll use a self timer so there's no camera shake. Yeah. And I have the focus check on and off. So all of those in the My Menu are pretty much available with press and then move up to the menu. And, you know, those eight settings are quickly available. I think most cameras have a customizable menu yeah. like that. Yeah. So that gives you access to the more, what would I call, obscure settings, right? But again, yeah. everyone's photography, well, not everyone's photography is different, but people have different types of photography they do and they'll have different needs. Um, you may want to have the white balance setting available because you're often switching between indoors and outdoors. Right. You may want to have the face and eye detection or the different focus modes. But my point is that you've already got so many buttons and dials that you probably don't need to go into the menus except for the things that you do rarely, right? Yeah, yeah. So here's a question for you. Do you think that that these are needless distractions or is it really just tailored to the photographer who wants to dive into all these things and configure all the buttons and have all of that at hand? I mean, I wonder how much of this is is just really geared toward an expected audience versus we're just going to have buttons for everything because we love buttons. I think there has to be a relationship with gear acquisition syndrome. Yeah. That people who are really into gear really want all these controls. They want to have all these options. Mm -hmm. And I may be wrong. This is just a guess from, you know, what I see when I see people talking about this stuff. Here's one of the problems for the camera industry today. The camera industry is like going off a cliff and doing that bit with Wiley Coyote spinning his legs before, before he falls down because yeah. we have things like the iPhone. So camera manufacturers need to have cameras that might get people to go from the iPhone to a, what I call a real camera. And even something like the X-T3 is daunting, but something like the X-E4 with far fewer buttons and controls could be more accessible to this audience. Um, I remember the Olympus Pen F that I had for a while, and, and they were kind of marketing that to 
vloggers and and <laughs> Instagramese influencers yeah. and stuff like that. It didn't have a lot of controls on it. Um, so I think camera companies are in some. I don't think they're dumbing down cameras to make ones with fewer controls. I think they're actually dumbing up cameras to make ones with more controls because of the people who want them. But it actually gets worse because you have the, what was it called? I, I looked up the name. It's the vertical power booster grip for your X-T3. And that yes. has another 35 buttons, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's another 35. Actually, I was just going to bring that up because, uh, you know, you started this episode counting and I can go higher because I have this vertical grip. Vertical um, power booster grip. Sorry, vertical power booster battery grip thing. And what's nice, it does hold two extra batteries. And so in terms of longevity, that's great. If you're, you know, shooting for a long time, obviously it's way overkill if you're, you know, standing doing uh, sunsets and sunrises. But, um, you know, for shooting event photography, it was fantastic. And also it's good because it has a shutter button. It has a finger dials. It's got the the Q button. It's got the joystick so that you can hold it in a vertical orientation, especially if you're shooting portraits or something. It's really nice. You're not bending your arm over if you're mostly shooting portrait orientations. Just on that score alone, um, I win with the total number of buttons. <laughs> you do, but I would argue that that's purely a professional tool. Well, it, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely a professional tool. It does add a lot of bulk and a lot of weight to you know my nice tiny little Svelte uh, XT3, and most of the time I don't have it on. But every once in a while, it's really helpful. I shot a portrait session a couple of weeks ago, and it was wonderful to have this on, even though it's more bulky. I want to go back to one quick thing before we wrap that you mentioned. And I think we're both on the same page here, and I would love to hear from other people. Tell me more about the touchscreens on cameras, because I think I, I also have mine disabled because early touchscreens just weren't very good. We are used to using iPhones where the touchscreen experience is amazing. And actually, I would think that that would translate over and make me more inclined to use a touchscreen on a camera because I'm so used to using it on an iPhone and an iPad every day. And yet I never do. I think some of that is because when I'm looking through the viewfinder, I'm using my left eye, which is a little less common instead of my right eye. And so basically, like my nose is smashed against the the, the back screen. And so th there have been times when suddenly things go kablooey because I've touched the screen somehow with my nose. But it, it's sort of amazing to me that we have, you know, what are now, you know, good touch screens, I think. And I, I'm just utterly uninterested or not drawn into using them at all. And maybe that's just because I have everything that I need in all the buttons. Well, like you, I use my left eye, and it's mainly because I don't see very well out of my right eye. So I can't do it. The 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 XE4 is designed with the viewfinder on the left to put to the right eye. So you're looking through your right eye, and with your left eye, you're seeing the situation around you. I can't do that. The XT3 has a viewfinder in the center, which is a better position, but definitely my nose would go all over the place. 
Yeah. It, it's not even that. It's more the idea of a touchscreen to change settings when I don't change settings anyway. Now, if I do change settings, why does the touchscreen help me when I can just press the Q button and use the joystick? It's not that much quicker yeah. um, to do anything like that. Now, the touchscreen would be useful if you're taking photos, not using the viewfinder, and you want to set focus points. And I'm not sure how many people, you know, you do that with an iPhone. You hold it out in front because yeah. there's no viewfinder. But if you have a camera with a viewfinder, I would think most people are using the viewfinder, unless it's on a tripod, in which case you might not use the viewfinder. Remember, when you've got an articulated LCD screen, you might want to be in a position where you're looking down at the camera because you want to have something close to the ground, right? Yeah. And so you're going to be looking at that screen. But even then, you can't really touch it because... Well, I guess you could touch it to set a focus point, but then you need to bring your hand back to the shutter and you need to essentially hold it with two hands. It's not yeah. that easy to hold these cameras with one hand. They're heavy. Um, so I, I just I, – the idea of a touchscreen on a camera, I, again, I'm old. I mean, yeah. I remember film cameras. I like viewfinders. In fact, <laughs> it's one reason I've never liked little compact cameras that don't have viewfinders. Um, because mm -hmm. I find it very difficult to shoot like that. Also, I have a bit of a tremor. So if I'm holding the camera out at arm's length, it's not going to be as stable unless it has image stabilization, which these cameras don't. Um, some right. of the Fujifilm lenses do, but you're talking about very heavy camera and lens combos, and you're not going to hold them at arm's length anyway. Right, right. So I think the touchscreen, I'm, I'm speculating uh, on cameras at this price, it's a gimmick. At lower-end cameras, they might attract people who are more used to using a smartphone. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not sure. I just don't use them. So Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, it's fascinating that, that we are now so ingrained into using a touchscreen because of the iPhone. And I think I can say that you know, universally, not just iPhones, but all smartphones, how that, that shifts to, yes, you're going to do everything on the touchscreen. And yet that doesn't seem to have transferred over to camera usage even though some of the actions and some of the, the the motions would seem to i just think it's really interesting so any listeners who agree or disagree and i think there are going to be a lot of you who disagree with what i've said um mention it in our facebook group because I, i'm particularly curious to see how people use this and as i said i asked a number of people in a fujifilm group and there's obviously different answers depending on what people shoot but what was interesting was the fact that people who are doing this professionally, for whom these are tools, are less likely to need these settings um, when they're working. They might need them when they're setting up. They might appreciate all the variety of features and settings, but it's not something you want to change when you're in the middle of doing something, because if you make a mistake, then you could miss the important photos. Yeah, it seems like there's an importance on paying attention to what's in front of the camera, not just on the camera. Exactly. Oh, all right. I think we should probably do some snapshots before I let you get back to your counting. Okay, Jeff, what's your snapshot this week? So one of the things I've been working on lately is uh, another article about webcams. And I've been talking about using a DSLR or mirrorless camera as a webcam. And so my snapshot today is the Elgato CamLink 4K. And basically, this is a little dongle, really. It's not very large at all. On one side of it is an HDMI port, and you run an HDMI cable from your camera to the cam link, and then the cam link plugs in via USB to your computer, and that provides the pathway to get the video signal from the camera to the computer, which you can use either in 
Zoom or pretty much any application that recognizes an external camera. And I bring this up because last year at this time when the pandemic was starting to roll and everybody was uh, you know, suddenly having to work from home, you could not find a Camlink 4K anywhere. And if you could, you were spending three times the cost. It's about $130 retail. I think I bought mine from Amazon for like $110. And back then, I, I could not find anything. I ended up ordering like a literally a, a no name box from China that was also a a a converter they they call these capture cards even though it's not really a card and that was fine the reason i bring up the camlink now uh i bought one a few weeks ago and i was surprised in my testing that it is significantly better quality than these other boxes whether it's because of different components, whether it's because it uses USB 3.0, although my no-name box also has USB 3.0, but it outputs um, 1080p video instead of 4K video. But I found through testing the Camlink, even though it is more expensive, that no-name box was $50. You can get $20 adapters and you do actually get what you pay for. So now that they're available, uh, Elgato Camlink 4K. If that's what you need to connect a camera, uh, it works really well. According to the Elgato website, you can use this to level up your content. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to level up my content. <laughs> you want your content to be visually captivating. It's interesting how that word content has taken off for videos these days because that's what TikTok calls it, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know us. We're all about the TikTok. We're all about TikTok. Yeah. I'm ticking and talking. <laughs> what do you have for for a snapshot this week? Okay, uh, we were talking earlier about this 27 millimeter lens. Oh yes, uh, which has a new version, which has an aperture ring. Fujifilm sells a bundle of the XC4 with this new 27 millimeter lens, and while. I have the original 27 millimeter lens now listed on eBay, everybody, if you're in the UK. Um, it's not a lens that I use a lot, but I like it because it's really small. And I think the body of the camera was 799 pounds and the bundle with the lens was 949. So it was 150 pounds for the lens in addition to the body, whereas the lens itself sells for 400 pounds. So I couldn't pass that up, even though um, you know, again, it's not a, a lens I use a lot. But when I look at this camera and I see how compact it is with that lens, that's really attractive. Uh, you may recall that I've mentioned a number of times that the X100F was my favorite camera ever, even though I didn't like it because it didn't have interchangeable lenses. So this camera is pretty close to the size of the X100F. The lens is a little bit bigger, the 27-inch lens, but it's a really compact camera. And I can put other lenses on because I've got plenty of other Fujifilm lenses. And it's a really compelling type of lens for Sometime in the after when we're traveling and walking around cities, this 27 millimeter focal length, which is about 42 in full frame, is a really good focal length for street. I don't like the really wide angle in street, the, the, 30, the 23 Fuji or 35 full frame. Mm -hmm. That's getting a bit too wide for me. Um, but the, the combination of this particular focal length and the small size and lightweight makes this a pocketable camera. And I find it really compelling. We'll put a picture that you had posted on Instagram of the camera with that lens. Um, it's, it, it, it's a really nice balance between the two. I 
have that old 27 millimeter first generation lens. And I should put a picture of that on my Fuji X-T3 with the battery grip. It looks a little absurd because it's such a small pancake lens and <laughs> and the battery grip and the camera just sort of dwarfs it all. But it is. We'll also put a link to an article I wrote on my website, Fujifilm X-E4, the camera designed for prime lenses. Given the size of the camera body, uh, putting a large zoom lens on it is just, it's just wrong. There's a balance problem. I have the 1680 zoom lens, not even to talk about the longer, like the 55, 200 millimeter. Um, but that's a bulky lens and it's, it's, it's heavier than the camera body. It, everything's unbalanced. So this is not a camera that really is ideal with zoom lenses, but it's perfect with the small primes that Fuji makes the, you know, all the F2 lenses that they have. I'll have to find a picture way back when I had a Canon EOS M, Canon's first mirrorless camera. And when I was writing about it, I had rented a hundred millimeter or maybe a 400 millimeter lens. And to attach that little tiny camera onto it, you almost couldn't even tell that there was a camera on the end. It was kind of funny. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a balance between cameras and lenses. Um, the bigger the camera, the easier it is to work with a big lens, even though it's heavy. But you might be more likely to use a tripod with a big yeah, lens. definitely. But for me, this is a really great walking around camera. And again, if you like the X100, but you don't like the fact that it's limited to a single lens, um, this is a really good option. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.